Good morning, everyone. Centuries ago, the early church gathered together and they had to make a massive decision. You see, the Bible is a collection of 66 books that we know, but there were loads of books around at the time that people wanted to be put in the Bible. And the early church had to decide which of the books get in and which of the books don't get in. Which of the books make up the Bible that you and I read today? And James is a little book in the New Testament, just five chapters, and it made it into the Bible. But James is a very controversial book. In fact, some of the early church fathers, they didn't want uh, this book to be in the Bible. In fact, Martin Luther, you may have heard of Martin Luther. He's a very famous person in church history. He called it the epistle or the book full of straw. And they didn't like it because it seemed to contradict some of the other books in the Bible. It doesn't but it seemed to and the reason it seemed to contradict is that many of the books in the Bible they talk about faith in God as being something that we receive from God and we don't do anything we receive it which is absolutely true but James came along and in the book of James he talks about the other side of the coin yes you receive salvation you receive faith from your relationship with God you don't do anything to deserve it but when you've got it it has to work it has to be practical and the book of James is a great book which teaches us not Not only is our faith true, but our faith in God works. It really works. It's practical. It's, you can apply it to every part of your life. So it's not contradictory to the rest of the Bible. It's like two sides of the same coin. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at this book, and we've called it Undiluted. And guys have done a fantastic job, haven't they, on that piece of art over there. That took them absolutely hours to do it. Thank you for all the guys doing that. But we're excited. Myself, Simon, and Dan are going to be taking you through the book of James. Really encourage you to read through the chapter in the week before the talk. So I'm going to do chapter one in a little bit later. So Simon's going to look at chapter two. So read chapter two and be prepared. But in James chapter one, verse one, there's an important verse. You know, whenever you study a book of the Bible, you need to linger for a little bit on verse one. Linger a little bit on verse one, just to get your bearing straight to what we're talking about. So James one, verse one says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So if you just linger there, James, that's the first word. Who was this guy called James? Was it James, son of Zebedee, one of the early disciples? No. Was it James, son of Alphaeus, one of the early apostles? No. Was it James, father of Judas, one of the early apostles? No, correct. Come with me. Was it James who was beheaded in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was set free from prison? No, was it James, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus at first, but later on in his life, came to believe in Jesus and became a major player in the early church? Oh, this is great. Just work in the crowd. That's probably the character that we're talking about. That's James. He wrote it around AD 62. And so it's one of the earliest books in the Bible that we've got. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve scattered 12 tribes scattered among the nations. You see, when you study a book of the Bible, you need to know who wrote it. You need to know who did they write it to. And it says in verse 1, they wrote it to the 12 tribes scattered. And what that means is they were Jewish people who believed in Jesus, but who were away from Israel. They were away from Palestine through persecution and through migration. So they believed in Jesus, but they were away from their homeland. They were like aliens in a foreign land. And James wrote to them, and what did he write about? He wrote about what it means to live out your faith in the world in which you live. 
I want to use a phrase that we've used a few weeks ago. He wanted them to sow seeds of righteousness. Everyone remember that phrase? So wherever you are, you're going to sow seeds of righteousness. You're going to live right. You need to know how to live right where you are. And you know, James was a preacher. So the the book is really quick and there's over 50 imperatives or commands. And in a world in which is grey, in a world in which there's not much black and white, James was a black and white preacher. All right, there's no grey. When you get when you look at James, it's neat, it's undiluted, it's direct, it's to the point, and it's all about how our faith in God is not only true, but it works. We hope you get excited about it like we are. Is anyone mildly excited this morning? We, I certainly am. This is a brilliant book and it's practical and it helps us to take some of the teaching that we've had at the start of this year and to sow seeds of righteousness right where God has put us. So why don't we stand for a moment and we're going to pray and then I'm going to let Excel head out. It's great to see you guys with us this morning. It's great to see so many people here this morning. Wow, fantastic. Let's pray for a moment and then we're going to sing for a bit and then I'll come back and we'll look at chapter one. So why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for your amazing love and we thank you for this fantastic day. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that we're here together. We're gathered in this place. And God, we're here because we love you. And uh, we're here because we're, we're exploring more of you. Or some of us may be here. We don't know why we're here, but we're here. And God, I pray that, Lord, that we would encounter you wherever we are in life, that we'd encounter you today. Lord, I pray for our young people. Thank you for last weekend, Lord, and just the amazing time they had. And it was great to see the pictures up on the screen. And Lord, I pray as they head out in a few moments as well, that you give them just a great morning together. And Lord, as we worship you now, and as we sing about how great you are, Lord, you are not diluted in any way. The God who turned water into wine, the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You've not lost your power over the last few thousand years. You are the undiluted God. And when you teach us, Lord, that's undiluted as well and God I pray that we will worship you and then we will receive from you and what we receive from you Lord will not be watered down but we'll be able to live it out in our lives wherever you've placed us to be because we're all like aliens in a foreign land we're all strangers in an unusual place in this thing called world the world and Lord we want to live our faith out and not only because it's true but because it really really works so help us I pray today in Jesus name amen just to say that the notes that I gave you, or that not I gave you, or that we've given you really, because I certainly didn't do that creative work. But just let me say that on the, the blue side with the big bottle, that's life group notes. Okay, We're trying to be a bit more creative with the life group notes. You might need glasses. I do to read that. But there you go. On the other side, those are notes for you for today, for the talk. Okay, So you can make some notes there. So the big bottle side is life groups. The other side is this morning. Okay. Um, so, um, if you're all settled, that will be wonderful, and uh, we'll dive into James chapter 1. Um, so, about 18 months ago, um, I started cycling, took up cycling. Uh, the reason that I did that um, was because I do look remarkably good in Lycra. Uh, no, please don't, don't dwell on that image. You're not going to hear another word if you dwell on that. Let it go, just let it go. The reason I took up cycling is because about four, five years ago on Boxing Day, we have a Boxing Day football match here, old ones against young ones, and after about seven minutes, uh, I was injured and spent the whole of Boxing Day in A&E. Subsequently, I had to have an operation on my knee, and uh, the doctor said to me, your career, in terms of bombing up and down the wing, is over. It's quite tragic, really, because I could never bomb up and down the wing, so it was amazing. But he says, you'll never play football again, really. I said, I could never play football anyway, and and this could go on and on. But he said, so the only thing you want to do, I said, well, I like squash. He said, you're not going to be able to do squash, a lot of twisting on your knee, impact on your knee. The only things you can do are swimming or cycling. 
Swimming I detest, okay? Cycling I'd never done. Not even as a kid, I didn't really cycle. So I bought a bike and I started cycling. And the interesting thing is, when you're the pastor of a church, all right, and and you start taking up a hobby, lots of people in the church who do that hobby all of a sudden really want to go out with you, uh, okay? They want to take you out and they want to explore that with you. And I know the reason they do that, because they want to humiliate me. Basically, it's like you're the pastor, so you get to speak to us all the time. You're the one with the microphone, but let's get out on the bikes and we'll completely annihilate and embarrass you. And um, I'm only kidding, by the way. And so uh, a week or so ago, I went out, a week ago, yeah, I went out with a guy who's more experienced than me. And the first time we'd been out, and we did 20 miles. Pretty good. That is pretty good. Furthest I've ever been. On the train. No, it wasn't. It was on the bike. It was on the bike. And the interesting thing is, as we were heading up, up this hill, he was cycling behind me. And we got to the top of this hill and we stopped. Well, I stopped. He could have carried on, but I had to stop. And I stopped and he said, do you know what? I think you've got the wrong saddle. And I said, why is that? And he said, because of the weight you're carrying. <laughs> so I'm like, so I think, so are you, are you wanting me to have a bench? Is that what you're talking about? It's like, do you know what I mean? You know, the saddle. He says, no, it's just the wrong kind of a saddle. And he did some technical thing. I said, all right, we'll sort that out. But then uh, last summer, another guy who will remain nameless as well, because he's in the building this morning. He's a really, really good cyclist, okay? And he took me out and I thought, oh, it's going to be humiliating and embarrassing. But it wasn't. And he was brilliant with me. And we went about three weeks around a 10-mile circuit that I was doing. And on this circuit, there's one hill, which to most cyclists isn't really a hill. But to me, it's like it's, it's, it's Everest. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a mountain. And I was really struggling. And as we went round it, what this fella said to me was that the, the one time we went up it, and I got up it all right. And I thought, you know what? That was great. That was the best I've ever done. So the next week, I came to the same hill. I expected just to fly up it, and I struggled up it. And I'm like, I don't understand this. Like last week, I really felt I got it. And it's like now, it's a struggle again. Why is that? And he said something really profound. Might not have thought it was, but I thought it was. He said, do you know what? The hills will never change. The hill ain't going to just get less the next week you come to it. But you'll get quicker. It's like the hill, it will never change. You've still got to go to the hill. It's still going to hurt. It's still going to be hard work. But you will get quicker and stronger as you do it more often. And I've thought about that because my experience of life is that there are a lot of hills. Anyone know what I'm talking about? There are a lot of hills. And sometimes, and that's not just because we live around here, okay? I'd love to be in East Anglia and cycle. Do you know what I mean? Or, or Holland, that would be great. But, but there are a lot of hills that we, have, that we get to in life. And sometimes when you go up a hill, or you go through a tough situation in life, you come to it again and you think it's just as tough as it was before. Is that only me? And it's like there are all these hills, there are all these tough things that happen in life. And the question that I have when I hit tough things in life is this. I say I'm a Christian, I have a faith in God. How does faith make a difference when I have to climb the hills? How does faith make a difference when I face the tests and the trials of life which don't seem to get any easier, they just seem to keep coming? How does faith make a difference And I may not be the only person here this morning that's ever thought like that. You may also be thinking like that as well. And if you're not, you have done. And if you've not and you haven't done, you will do. And it may be that you're a Christian this morning and you say, actually, I'd really like to to know how does faith make a real impact when life is tough? Maybe that you're not a Christian today. You're exploring it. You're checking it out. Or you were dragged here by somebody. I don't know. But this may be helpful to you because you may be under the illusion that we all think, those of us are Christians, that if you're a Christian, you're not going to have any more hills. That God's going to make it all nice and flat and you won't have any tough times in your life. We don't think that. That's not true. 
And it may be helpful to you this morning to understand how faith makes a difference when you hit the hills. And so what I've called week one in this series on James is life in the tough lane. Life in the tough lane. How does undiluted faith work when life gets tough? You know, I am so excited today to know that God has something to say about this issue and about this question. And if you look in James chapter 1, we've already looked at verse 1. We're going to look at verse 2, 3 and 4 now. And it says this, James writing to all of these guys and girls that are um, out of Israel, out of their homeland. They're scattered. And he's writing to them all in different situations. And he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And we're going to look at the whole chapter this morning, but really you could sum up what we're going to talk about in those few verses. Because James says, when you have trials, consider it pure joy. Now the question I have is, is this guy for real? Do you know what I mean? Because it's like the word consider, literally in in the original language, means reckon or count or mark it or write it down. We've already sung counting on your name. It's like, and the word it, all right, we're not going to do this all the way through the chapter, so don't worry. The word, and the the letter I, no, we're not going to do that. The The word it means everything or anything that could happen. So James is saying, consider it, reckon it, mark it down, write it down. Anything and everything that could happen to you that's a test or a trial, you've got to consider all of that pure joy. Now he's not saying that it is joyful in itself, but what he's saying is that it's pure joy because if you let it, it will do something in you which will be really, really valuable. And he goes on to say how valuable it is. He says, because if you let it work in you, you don't quit, if you persevere, it will make you mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. So all the stuff that happens to you, which is a trial, all the hills that you have to climb, if you don't quit, if you don't quit on God, if you don't water down the faith, if you don't dilute it so that you make it more palatable, if you stick in with God, the process of sticking in with God will do something in you which will bring you to maturity, completeness, not lacking in anything. You see, undiluted faith is the only type of faith that will really work in the tough lane. You see, if you start watering it down, it ain't going to work. See, many people say, oh, I tried Christianity and it didn't work. No, you didn't. You tried a diluted form of Christianity and it will never work. But when you hook into God and you say, God, I want to love you. I want a faith in you that's real and undiluted. You will be able to navigate some of the biggest hills imaginable and you will still go on loving God. And if we let God do that in us, he will bring us to completion and maturity. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that. Doctor, does this medicine have to taste so nasty? Anyone ever thought that? Yes, it does. It really does. If you want the results, you have to taste it and it ain't pleasant. But you know, the results of this, this undiluted faith are amazing because James says that you're going to come out mature and complete. You're not going to lack anything when you don't quit. But you see, every time you quit, 
that process of maturity, that process of maturation will stop. That's why there are so many Christians who were growing in their faith and now they've stopped. And let me tell you, some of us are like that as well. You were growing in your faith and you stopped. Why did you stop? Because you quit. But I come to church. Yeah, and you still quit. But I do this and I do that. Yeah, but you still quit. Somehow you quit. Somehow you got off the saddle and you're pushing your bike up. Or somehow you just got off your saddle and you're just not moving. You quit and that's when the process of maturity stops when you quit. In the um, 19th century, there was this Scottish guy, and it just happened to be a Scottish guy. So if you are Scottish, this isn't anything to do with that. It just happened to be Scottish, and I want to be accurate. And um, he heard about this sport called discus throwing, and he really wanted to take it up. And he lived out in the rural part of Scotland, and so he just had a book, got a book from the library, uh, that showed you what a discus looked like, and he made a discus. But what he didn't realise is that as he looked at the picture in the book... Okay, the, a discus is actually, in this day, I don't know what it's made of now, probably something synthetic, but then it was made of wood with an iron rim around the outside. But he made the discus out of solid iron. So the discus was four times heavier than a real discus. But this guy trained day in, day out, weeks, weeks, months on end. When the day of the competition came, he arrived at the field and they gave him a competition regulation discus. So he took it in his hand and he kind of went, whoa. This is like a tea saucer. And he threw it for miles. And every year, year in, year out, he set records. Why did he do that? Because he trained under a heavier burden. And when you train under a heavier burden, the results are amazing. And it's like James is saying, listen, God isn't sending you all this stuff because he wants all this bad stuff to happen to you. But this stuff happens. These trials happen in life. And then there's a testing that comes. And I'm going to use some of those things to test your faith. And you're like, you're training under a heavier burden. But when you train under a heavier burden, the results are amazing. And I wonder if for us, some of us this morning, could reframe the way that we think and that we talk about our difficulties. And I'm speaking to myself more than anyone else. And rather than, oh God, you know, why is this hill so jolly big? You know, and why is this hill followed by another hill? And why is this so hard? And why are there so many tests in my life? Perhaps God wants to say, but do you know what? If you don't quit, the rewards are going to be amazing. Because I'm going to do something in you, which is going to be incredible. And he goes on to talk about this and... You see, because in verse 5, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And that could look like a digression. It's like you're talking about trials and testing, and now you're talking about wisdom. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the tough lane, one of the things I need more than anything else from God is wisdom. Anyone agree? It's like, because when you're in the tough lane, it's like you don't quite know what to do. So what do you do? You have a choice whether you go towards God or whether you go away from God. And James says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. In other words, literally that phrase means, ask from the giving God. (laughs) Love that. Ask from the giving God. Why do we think that God somehow doesn't want to give to us when God's nature is to give? For God so loved the world that he gave. And when you're lacking wisdom and you're in the tough lane, ask from God. You know, somebody, a friend of mine who is a business consultant coach and um, she's helping me with a lot of stuff in my own life at the moment. And she told me this week about how she was, uh, she, she, she was speaking at various conferences of Christian organizations. And she actually did the same thing in about three different scenarios where she talked to all these people in different Christian organizations about how they would handle certain things. And so she used some illustrations and said, right, you've got a really bad headache. 
or you need to get to a certain destination and the weather's inclement and difficult. And she'd set up all these scenarios. She said, what is your strategy for each? She says, as I went from organisation to organisation, not one person ever mentioned pray. That's quite scary. Until you think, would I have thought of that? Got a headache. Take a pill. Would I think of praying? Going to get to a destination, would I think of praying? Facing a tough situation, climbing a hill that hurts, do we ever think about prayer? Do we ever think about going to God? Or is God the last resort rather than the first? And James says undiluted faith means that God is the first resort, not the last resort. If any of you lacks wisdom, yes, God. You go to God. Brilliant. And then, and then he talks about the way that you ask God is important. And when he mentions doubt, he's not saying that doubt is wrong, but he's saying that when you approach God, don't go in a double-minded way. Don't go thinking, oh, God won't want to speak, and why would God want to Go with belief, because otherwise you'll be really unstable. And then James does what James does quite a lot in the book of James. He takes a sharp turn. You're, like, you're riding along a road, then all of a sudden, oof, there's a sharp turn. Here's the first one in verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Now, it feels like a, a sharp turn, but it's not really. Because what James is saying is that he's saying this, listen, whatever your circumstances of life, you will all spend time in the tough lane. Now he used the illustration of rich and poor, but it could have been married or single. Could have been old or young. Could have been in work or out of work. So please don't live under the illusion that if your circumstances changed and you were suddenly rich, that you'd never spend any time in the tough lane. Or that you got married, that you'd never spend any time in the tough lane. Just don't go there, all right? Because that's an illusion. Or if I'm a little bit older, if I was only a little bit younger, because what James is saying is that whatever the circumstances of your life, you're going to find yourself in the tough lane. And then he does make a little dig towards the rich, which he does quite a lot in the book of James. He says, oh, and by the way, if you are rich, please don't live under the illusion that your material wealth will bring you security and the identity that you're looking for, because it won't. Just a little note there to the rich. And that, by the way, statistically, in the world, that's every single one of us. You know that, don't you? Because we're in the top 1% of wealthy people on the planet. So actually, in real terms, everyone in this room, you might not ever consider yourself as rich, but statistically, global village terms of the world, we are. Don't let's think that our material wealth is the identity and security that we're craving for. You know, there are some people who are so poor that the only thing that they have is money. Some people so poor that the only thing that they have is money. And James expands this all the way through his book and we'll look at that in a few weeks. Then he seems to straighten up again and in verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. The Lord has promised to those who love him. And that phrase, crown of life, is taken from the ancient world where in the Roman world they would put a laurel wreath, a crown around someone's head and it was a sign of dignity and honour and position but also achievement and reward. When you finished the games or, or you won a big victory, you'd get the crown of life. There's that sense in which saying, you know, when you're, when you're on that bike and you're going up that hill and, you, and you're not quitting, you know, you need to know that there's a reward coming. 
And it's coming from the one who loves you. And I don't know about you, but there's something in my heart, deep in my heart, that, that really wants to not quit because I want to please God. I want that well done, good and faithful servant. And, you know, often on the bike, and some of us who go out who are all as bad as me, uh, in terms of cycling, we say that first 10 minutes when you're out there, you think, oh, what on earth am I doing this for? Forget, the, you know, I could be lying on the couch. Do you know what I mean? Thinking about cycling. You know, I could be doing that. But that first 10 minutes when you want to quit, and you think, no, I'm going to do this. I want to finish this. And that crown of life is so important. And then James seems to take another sharp turn in verse 13. When he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Like, hang on, James. Like, we, you're talking about trials. And then you said, okay, trials happen in life. God can use those trials to test you. Then all of a sudden you're talking about temptation. So like, what is it? Is it a test? Is it a trial? Is it a temptation? Let me be really, really clear. Trials happen in life to everyone. God uses some of those things to test our faith, to prove our faith genuine, and to do something brilliant in our experience and in our life. Temptation does not come from God. Temptation comes from the enemy, the devil as we would say. And that is meant to entice you and to drag you away from God. And ultimately, as James says, that leads to death. But here's why I don't think it's a digression. Because my experience is this, that when life is tough, when I'm in the tough lane, temptation comes without any warning. Anyone agree with me? So I am never more tempted to be pulled away from God and to do stuff that I know is wrong than when it's in the tough lane. Because what happens is that when life is tough, you go through a thought process like this. But do you know what? I deserve it. Do you know what? God would want me to do that because life's so tough at the moment that surely he'd want me to give in to that. Which is why I don't think it's a digression. James is saying when you're tested, when you're being tested, when life is tough, beware of temptation. Because that's not from me, but it will come really quickly and really powerfully when you're in the tough lane. Martin Luther, who was that fellow that I spoke about, lived 500 years ago. He, he made a statement which I think sounds more Monty Python than Martin Luther, to be honest. But I love the phrase. I found it just this morning. He said this, Martin Luther said, don't sit near the fire if your head is made of butter. I mean, how, how Monty Python is that? Do you know what I mean? Hmm, it's really deep, that is. But it's a little bit like the reality is that all of us, when it comes to temptation, we're all made of butter. You know that, don't you? So don't sit near the fire. It's not rocket science. And yet when it's tough, you often say, well, do you know what? It doesn't matter. I can sit this close to the fire because, because actually life's so hard and I need to feel better. When you do that, it leads to death, James says. So we need to be really, really careful. But you know, if you're like me, you're probably sitting there thinking, that's great. Undiluted faith is the only type of faith that works in the tough lane. That's brilliant. And you get a crown of life at the end and you get maturity and that's all fantastic. Here's the question many of you are asking, but how do I do that? What does that look like? What do I need to do? And so in the time we've got left, there are four practical applications that I think James gives us. And the first one is this, when life is tough, look up. I would love us to say that together. Is that all right? Can we do that? Let's try it. When life is tough, look up. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. There's this sense in which, you know, when life is tough, yes, look around for support. That's great. And when life is tough, yes, look in for what's going on inside you. That's important. But if you want undiluted faith, if you want something that will not only be true, but that will really work in your situation, you've got to look up. Because that's where it comes from. And, And the Bible says, and James says here, listen, when you look up, you see God. And he doesn't change like shifting shadows. And that, that, that weird kind of um, phrase there refers to, 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 in the ancient world, they didn't have watches and clocks and iPads and iPhones and all that. You know that. So they had a stick in the ground. And when the sun rose, you could tell the time by the shadow, where the shadow went. But when the sun comes up to 12 noon, there is no shadow. Because the sun is at its peak of its power. And James is saying, listen, if you want help, When you're in tough times, if you want to know undiluted faith, you'll only find it when you look up. Because God doesn't change. There's no rising. There's no falling. He is always at the peak of his power. So look up. And I believe that that's a word for many of us this morning. And I know it in my own life how often I've been in tough situations and I just can't seem to get my head up. But when I have got my head up and reminding myself that God is the God of the universe who holds my life in the palm of his hand. And he promised he'd never leave me nor forsake me. And he promised me that if I would stand in with him and, and keep in with him and persevere with him, that I would receive a crown of life. It makes all the difference. The hill is the same. The trial is the same, often. But something's different on the inside. So the first thing is this. When life is tough, look up. Secondly, when life is tough, shut up. Can we say that together lovingly? <laughs> when life is tough, shut up. Look, look at what it says, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's a really interesting phrase. Quick to listen. Listening to God in the tough lane is really hard. And can I say, it's not just about having a devotional time or journaling or listening to Christian worship or good though all that is. But I found that really hearing God when life is tough is about quietening your spirit and quietening the voices in your head and the the words that are going on in your head and all of the different things and quietening your whole being so you can hear the voice of God. And that is hardest when life is tough. There's just all this clutter and clatter going on in your head. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And actually quietening yourself so that you can hear God is really important. You know, I've actually found in my own life that the cycling thing has given me a gift, which I never thought it would. Um, And I'm still struggling on the hills. But I'm actually finding that when I go out on my own, I can have some amazing times where I can hear God. Because there's something about the process of that which is decluttering. and just, Now, I am concentrating on the road as well. Yeah, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> you know, but, but there's something about it. In fact, this week it happened. On Thursday, I was so stuck with this message. And you might think I still am. But I was so stuck with this message. Really was. And Thursday morning, I thought, I- I'm, I'm done here. I just can't get into this at all. And so I got up early on Thursday and I went out for half an hour. And as I was cycling down, God just said, that, 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 that. And bang, it was there. Went back, wrote it up in half an hour. There it was. Perhaps I should have gone longer, you might think. But there was, some, there was something about the slowing down and creating a space where my spirit was attentive to God. Now that might be different for you. 
But if you want to hear God in the tough lane, you've got to slow down. You've got to shut up. Now, there's a t- now James doesn't say, don't ever speak. He says, be slow to speak. So, so speaking it out and telling other people about the tough lane, that's all fine. He doesn't say, don't ever get angry. He just says, be slow to anger. Because it's true that when you get angry quickly, listening tends to fly out the window, doesn't it? When your heart and mind is full of anger, it's very hard to hear God. Some years ago, I was um, in a situation where something had happened in, in our lives, and, I, I, and this was a long time ago, um, before I was in this church, actually, and I didn't understand where God was in this situation. I didn't understand, and, and like God was really quiet. Anyone ever had that experience where, where you're just like, God, you're just not speaking? Do you know what I mean at all? And, and I would often ask God, where are you? What's going on in this situation? And I tried all the things that I knew, reading and listening and praying and talking to other people and blah, blah, blah. And then, and then we went on holiday somewhere and we were in a, a town, I can't even remember what country we were in to be honest, and, and we were doing some sightseeing, Alison and myself, and we walked into a, an old Catholic church. And as we walked around this old Catholic church, I was on my own at the corner of this church and there was this like crucifix, which I don't really like much, you know, the Jesus on the cross image. I just looked at it and I just found myself saying, God, where are you in this situation? And as clear as anything, not an audible voice, I've never had that, but as clear as anything, I felt God say to me, I'm where I've always been. Not very profound, not very deep. Ain't going to write it down and tweet it later. But you know, for me, it made all the difference. Because I just found a way of slowing my spirit down and being attentive. And God said, Leon, where am I? I'm where I've always been. I've not moved. I went, of course you haven't. Of course you haven't. Made all the difference. So when life is tough, number one. When life is tough, number two. And number three, when life is tough, open up. Should we say it together? When life is tough, open up. And verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. It's a great verse, all about preparation. And it's like what we've been talking about in January, you know. This is all about good soil. This is all about opening up your heart for the seed, for the word of God to be in your heart and for you to accept it and let it plant in your life. And if it's planted, it can save you. If you let it grow and do something and bring fruit, it can save you. And this verse is all about preparation to receive God's word. How many of you want to hear God speak to you? When you come on a Sunday morning, how many of you want to hear God speak to you? How many of you think... You don't have to put your hand up. Think before you come of how to prepare yourself for that process. I wonder how many of us think, God speak to me, God speak to me, but we don't put any thought into preparation. And yet this verse says, if you want to receive a word that's planted in you, which can save you, you have to do some things. Firstly, you have to put away everything that competes. That's why it says, get rid of the moral filth and and evil. Because that's like oil and water. You know, you you want to hear God and yet you've got all this stuff in your life. And can I say, the modern, the modern, the contemporary condition that's most blighting the church is this one. It's called dualism. Where we think, especially in the young generation, but not just, we can live however we want to live. And then when we get into a space that we think is spiritual, God will speak to us and that will transform our lives. But we can carry on living exactly the same as what we want to live. It's dualism and it won't work. And James says, if you want to receive the word of God in a way that it can save you and bring life to you, you have to put away everything which competes with it. 
You can't live one way and expect to hear God in that way because they're like oil and water. They just don't merge. So he says, put away everything which competes. Adopt the right attitude. Humbly accept the word planted in you. I've said this to you before. Many years ago, I committed to God to say, God, anybody who preaches the word of God, I am a candidate to receive from you through that person. I don't care how old they are, how young they are. I don't care whether I can understand their language or not. I don't care whether this is the first time they've ever preached or the hundred and first time they've ever preached. If they're preaching your word, I'm a candidate to receive from you. Humbly accept the word of God. And then accept it in such a way into good soil so that it brings fruit. So when you're in the tough lane, the first thing you do is what? Look up. The second thing we do is shut up. And the third thing we do is? And the fourth thing we do when life is tough, saddle up. Saddle up. Basically, I could sit on my couch, okay, clothed in lycra, which is an image I know you don't want to dwell on, with a bike there, and I could watch DVDs about cycling, and I could listen to stories about cycling, but unless I get on the saddle and do it, I will never appreciate what it's all about. And that's why James says these incredibly important words in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I mean, he's preaching now. He really is. Don't just listen to it. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently, really important word, intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. So in other words, whoever, whoever looks into the Word of God and who continues in it and who does it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And this is not a pun on the psyche, but this is where the rubber hits the road in the tough lane. Whether we will actually do what the Word of God says we should do. So I have a couple of questions for you this morning. What was the last thing God said to you? And have you done it? Because it's a little bit like this. Maturity in the Christian life world is not about how much you know about God or theology. Lots of people think they're mature because they know a lot. It isn't. Maturity in the spiritual life is about what you know of God, you do. And the more you know that you do, the more mature you become. The more you know that you don't do, the more immature you stay. So there are some Christians who are older some who are younger, who know a lot, who have a lot of experience, who've heard a lot, who are more immature spiritually than some younger Christians. They know more, but they don't do more, which makes them immature. But maturity is about doing that, is doing what you know. Are you, are you with me? And, and, and the Bible says it's like a dimmer switch. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it talks about you light to the path and, and all that kind of thing from the Psalms. And it's like when I respond to God's word and I put it into practice, it's like God turns the switch up a little bit more and there's more light. But when I don't, it's like he turns it down. And the sad thing is that there are some believers who've been Christians for years and years and years and who've heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons. But as they walk out of the room or as they switch the CD off or as they close the Bible or as they whatever, they just forget it. And every time you forget it or dilute it, you water it down, it doesn't work. And you wonder why your faith is boring 
or ineffective and you can't hear God, it's because you're not doing what God wants you to do with what you've got. And it's hard-hitting stuff. There's no other way that I can say it. But every time we forget or every time we ignore the Word of God, we water it down. And that type of faith not only is really frustrating to God, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, this morning, when life is tough, you're going to do four things. Number one, let's say it with a bit more gusto. Number one, number two, it's <laughs> great thing. You all told me to shut up. Number three, and number four, undiluted faith is the only type of faith that really works. And on your notes, there's a part for you to respond to. And I think it'd be awesome if not only you responded to it individually, but even in life groups this week, that you got found a way of talking about this. And there's just a bit there where it says, be hearers of the word. What has God said to you today through this message? And then what will you do with that which he said? And it would be an amazing thing to talk about that in life group because that's a way of keeping each other accountable and encouraging one another. And wouldn't it be awesome if we were a community of people, not just in life groups, but together, who were people that would saddle up, who would say, do you know what, we're not going to quit when life gets difficult and we're not going to quit on our faith because we are not going to dilute our faith down. We're going to stay undiluted in our faith and we're going to encourage and spur one another on. And as we do, we're going to watch each other grow in maturity And we're going to kind of be there when we see crowns of life dotted upon different people's heads. Wouldn't that be amazing? And you know, the final kind of thing I want to say is that there are a couple of verses at the end of James 1 which are really important. But I have to say that for me, this is a digression. He's moving into a different theme here. You remember that when people wrote these letters, they didn't write them in chapters. We put the chapters in. But I think these last couple of verses, especially the last one where it says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's incredibly important. So important that I'm going to give it to Simon to talk about next week. Because I kind of sense that as you look into chapter 2, that's all about how a faith, undiluted faith, works in the lives of other people. Widows and orphans, rich and poor, no favourites. It's got, it's, got, it's got to work, it's got to push out. And that's what those two verses are like. But right now we're going to pause and we're going to ask God to just bring and almost seal the word that he's spoken to tonight. Uh, to this morning even, in your life. So just close your eyes with me for a moment, if you could. Ask the band to come back. And You know, we all spend some time in the tough lane of life. And right now, I know, not because this is a prophetic word, but just because of statistics, that there will be many of us here today, and life is tough for you right now. And you're finding you, and you, you identify that you, for you, life and your spiritual life, your whole life, it feels like you're climbing up a hill and you're in danger of wanting to get off the bike and not making it. And life just feels tough for you right now. And I want to lead you through a little reflective activity, if we can, through those four aspects and ask God by His Spirit to speak to you into those four areas. And so I'm going to talk to you in a moment, talk to God for you about what it would mean for you to look up, what it might mean for you to shut up and open up, what it might mean for you to saddle up. But before I do that, I want to give you an opportunity to, if you like, put yourself in that place. So I want to ask you to stand up. 
So if this morning you are in the tough lane and you know you're in the tough lane and right now you need to hear from God and you need a dose of this undiluted faith to encourage your soul again, then would you stand up with me and I want to pray for you. It's a brave step you're taking. We're not singing, covering in any way. We're just saying if you know that right now you're in the tough lane, then you just stand with me. Father. So Lord, I want to pray for all these people who are standing. And Lord, I pray first and foremost now that they would look up. God, they've perhaps been, I just get this picture of, you know, that their kind of heads are down and, and they're looking at the circumstances and looking at the pressure. And, and Lord, you so desperately want them to turn and to, to lift up their head and look. And Lord, your word says in, in the Psalms, I lift my head, my eyes up to the hills. Where does my strength come from? My strength comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And God, I pray that every person who's standing will lift up their heads and will see that their strength comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's not weighed down by the pressure. He's not anxious. He's not worried. He's not in fear. He's not confused. God, you are a God who's always at the peak of your power. And Lord, I pray that these people who are standing would look up. They'd find times and spaces where they'd look up and just look at you and worship you and remind them so that there is a God who's in control, that there is a God who has promised that he would never leave them nor forsake them. So Lord, I pray for every person standing, that they would look up. And Lord, I also pray that even now, that they would shut up. And I pray that there would be a quietening of the voices. There would be a quietening of the pressures. There would be a quietening of the clatter and clutter that goes on in our minds and in our hearts. And that, Lord, you'd speak. And Lord, you'd speak whatever word you need them to hear. And Lord, like Elijah who was stuck in the cave, And the Bible says that it wasn't in the earthquake or the wind or the fire, but it was in the still, small whisper that you spoke. Lord, I pray that for these folks standing, that they'd hear the still, small whisper of God. And Lord, I pray that as they listen to that and hear that, Lord, I pray that they would open up as well and they would receive your word in good soil. And then, Lord, I pray that they would saddle up and they would put that word into practice and they would not quit So Father, I pray for every person who's standing right now. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you by your Spirit would just give them a dose of your undiluted faith, your undiluted power, that they, Lord Jesus, would would know what it is to live in the tough lane and to not quit, but to keep going forward with you, I pray. Would you encourage them, lift up their heads, lift up, Lord, strengthen their feeble arm and knees is what the Bible says. Encourage them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we all stand for a moment? Come up here, Mary. Mary, Mary, step up onto here, will you, so they can see you. <laughs> Sorry, it's just a very simple word that uh, really just seems so relevant this morning. Very recently, um, I was struggling for the thousandth time with... Um, uh, a member of our family that <laughs> tends to just really wind me up and hurt me sometimes. And I'm always repenting of my reaction to this. I'm always struggling. Uh, it's a big thing in my life. And yet again, you know, I said to God, oh, 
Lord, what shall I do? I don't know how to handle this every time I fail. And he just simply said to me really powerfully, I'll help you. Mm. And um, it was such, such a strong, real word from God, but so simple. And um, it reminded me of when I was a little girl, I had my first bite, I was five, and my dad <coughs> came and helped me, you know, to, uh, to learn. And um, it, I just felt like that little girl again. And I think that's how we all are, all our lives, however old we get, um, to God, we're like that child. And he wants to help us like a father. Thanks, Mary. Thanks. We're going to sing, uh, in conclusion, a song, which is a new song that we've just started to learn a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I love the song. I love the, the imagery of the song because it talks about being on a mountaintop after a battle. And I want you to kind of sense this kind of picture where you're looking around at one another and you see the battle scars and the, uh, the kind of bruises and, do you know what I mean, from the battle. But as you look around, you say, but you know what? We've come through that battle and we're still here. Do you know what I mean? And you're still here as well and you're still standing and you're looking like you can't almost stand but you are standing and there's a sense of encouragement because we look back at the battle and we see that God has been faithful. Amen. And that God helped us. An undiluted faith in my life works because when I look back sometimes the mountain didn't disappear. Sometimes the trial didn't go away but God helped me. And you might have scars coming through it but you know that God never let you go and that God was faithful. So we're going to declare this this morning and hopefully declare it to ourselves and also to one another that there is a God who is faithful, who never lets us go. And we're never going to dilute that, are we? We're never going to water that down because that's the truth. The hill might still be there to be climbed, but God will never let us go because God's faithful. Amen. So we're going to declare that together. Thanks, Lee.